Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., tomorrow morning, Uh I am going to wake up. I'm going to put on some comfy clothes. Okay. I'm going to walk through my backyard to the writing shed, which I built couple years ago. Which I love. Or had built a couple mm-hmm. years ago. It's just a little room mm-hmm. with a heater, mm-hmm. and that's it. I'm going to sit at my desk, Yes. and I am going to write maybe a sentence. Okay. And then I'm going to slowly sip my cup of coffee, uh-huh. and then I'm going to come back in the house. Just one sentence? Yes, and I'm going to do that every weekday for the foreseeable future. Just one sentence? Uh, if that. Interesting. Okay. My question to you, since you are so smart, Dr. Peterson, <laughs> why am I going to do that? <laughs> to, just, to just write one sentence or just get up and just go do it? Get up and just go do it. Why am I going to do that? Because you're creating a habit. Brilliant! <laughs> and that was ding, a, ding, ding, I was ding, like, ding, ding. I, did you hear it go up just a smidge at the end? I was like, okay, where is this going? Where is this going? So I used to do something very similar. Okay, what Not you do? quite the sentence, but when I was in, I would say, my most productive phase of writing, mm-hmm. I would get up every morning and write, and I would kind of force myself to write. And most of the time, I could actually do it because I was just like in the zone and everything. But there were days where I absolutely did not feel like writing at all. And yet I would still get on my computer and write. I do not feel like writing at all. I have no creativity. I have no, and I would write maybe only like three or four sentences, like a paragraph, and then I'd be done. Yeah. I wouldn't try to push it or force it. I would just write a few sentences. And how did that go? It went great. It kept the habit going. Our interview today is with James Clear, wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Uh But one of the things he talks about is don't think about where you are. Think about the direction that you are going. You want to move in the right direction, even if it's just an inch at a time. And Uh often, moving slowly into the habit is actually the better way to create the habit. So the idea is that if I have the habit of getting up and writing every morning at a certain time, if I can just do that for literally an hour Uh every weekday morning before I really start my day, Everything in life changes. I mean, I'm releasing a book or two books a year instead of yeah. a book every two years. Yeah. Uh, I'm organizing my mind. But the problem is to get up at 5 a.m. and go to the writing shed and do that for an hour now would create negative associations. Yeah. Because it's very hard. It's yeah. cold. It's winter. It's So you're actually creating the opposite of a habit. Yes. But to go to the writing shed and only work for a minute is so easy and so doable that when that becomes a habit... We add another minute. Interesting. And then you add another minute, but you never push it so hard that you are de-incentivizing the <laughs> yeah, habit. Yeah. That is brilliant and doable. <laughs> we can all do that. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing. Like I used to, if I went and hired a trainer, I would tell them when yeah. I showed up, if you make me throw up the first time I'm here, I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes a because, lot of sense. Because yeah, why would I ever want to come back when like the first time I'm going back to work out, they're putting me through two hours of something that I'm not capable of doing, and then I throw up. No. And you're and literally what they've done is they've trained you not to exercise. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. That's fascinating. I've never thought of it in those terms. Well, the book is called Atomic Habits, and we actually talked for a long time. Going into the new year, yeah, this could be one of the most foundational yes. conversations that you listen to. So it's remarkable. I love what James's research has come up with, and I love that he actually gives us so many practical tips on 
how to eat right, how to get more exercise, how to have a better career, all yeah. those kinds of things. It's all, you know, some of it is stuff you've heard before, but most of it is not. It's mm. very, very different and very counterintuitive. And to the degree that intuitively I've done it, because I did it with the gym too. Yeah. And I talk about that in the interview. I would go in and swim for 15 minutes. Now I swim for 60 to 90 minutes. And if I could do it seven days a week, I would. Yeah. And even today, I couldn't do it. I flight landed at 9 p.m. last night, had to get up early and come to the office this morning, couldn't swim. My body feels it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if you would have said that was going to be my body two years ago, I said, no possible yeah. way. No possible <laughs> yeah. way. And it all happened by creating a habit rather than trying to get exercise. Yeah. It's I a love different it. way to see the no, world. I'm so excited about this. Well, we're not going to wait any longer. Well, you and I will unpack it when we're done with this interview. Yeah. But the, the author's name is James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits, a New York Times bestseller. Here's my conversation with James. James, so glad to have you on. Hi, great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I geek out about this stuff. I geek out about the the sort of psychology of habits and performance and success. And there's all you know, we're usually wrong. It's counterintuitive, isn't it, on why people succeed? Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. It's also counterintuitive on like why we're happy. There's a great book, Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert. We often think we know the things that we need to do to be successful or to gain happiness or whatever. And yeah, it's uh, sometimes the framework or path is surprising. Yeah, my wife is doing some research on happiness right now. And uh, everything that she brings up, I'm like, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> I'm not an introvert, but I really just want to talk about and think about what I want to talk about and think about. I don't want to go to a party and have to talk about the weather. And sure. she swears that going to a party and talking about the weather with people you don't want to talk to will actually make you more happy. And I'm like, it can't <laughs> that be socialization true. socialization <laughs> is more important than the quality of the conversation. Apparently, that's what she's saying. Well, <laughs> you've funny. gotten like neck deep into this stuff, specifically in the area of habits. And I'm, I'm 100% convinced that you know nine-tenths of success is about creating habits. And mm. I think it was uh, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, I decided to create the habit of going to the gym and getting exercise. And the way I did that, you you counseled me on this. Tell me whether I was right or wrong. Normally, you'd go to the gym. You'd work your butt off. You'd have a negative experience because you're in so much pain. And so I said, look, I'm going to go to the gym. The job is to go to the gym, not to actually get a workout. So the yeah. job is to go to the gym and enjoy it for the purpose of creating a habit, right? So I'd go. I'd jump in the pool. I'd do 15 minutes. And the second I started hating it, I'd say, okay, let's hit the showers and let's go home. These days... At least four days a week, I wish I could do seven, at least 60 minutes of swimming. I often do 90, and I just I get out because I have to get out. I don't even know if it's a habit. It's an addiction, and I absolutely <laughs> love it, and it's the healthiest thing going on in my life, but I, it, it happened because I didn't decide to work out. I decided to create a habit of working out, and it was a different way of approaching it. Am I on to something? Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful example. You know, you were focused on having feelings of pleasure. That's right. Associated with the experience. It was more about showing up and having an enjoyable time than it was about losing 30 pounds or hitting a particular result. And I didn't want to sacrifice. I didn't want it to be a sacrifice. I wanted it to be something that I enjoyed. And now it's, you know, if I crawl out of the pool and can hardly walk because I got such a great workout, it's still, it's a pleasure. I just love it. You know, this is, uh, I mentioned this in the book, I refer to it as the, the cardinal rule of behavior change, which is behaviors that are immediately rewarded get repeated and behaviors that are immediately punished get avoided. Mm. And 
you know, you were building something that was immediately rewarding to you. And as soon as it became unenjoyable, uh, you stopped. And so you only have positive feelings to associate with the behavior. And it's more likely that you're going to return to that again in the future. It worked. Okay, I want to get into the book a little bit because uh, a lot of us need to create some more healthy habits. And so you've got a section here, the best way to start a new habit. Can you tell us how to start a new habit if we need to start one? Sure. So actually, we can build off of what you just mentioned here. Um, one of the key things that you can do is to scale your habit down so it's incredibly easy to do. So you gave the example of going for 15 minutes. I actually have a, another story, this reader of mine named Mitch. He ended up losing over 100 pounds. But for the first six weeks that he went to the gym, he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he had this little <laughs> rule for himself, right? He got in the car, drove to the gym, got out, did half an exercise, got back in the car, drove home. <laughs> And <laughs> I like it that. sounds ridiculous, right? No, it it sounds does. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is not going to get the guy with the results he wants. But I think there's a much deeper truth kind of buried in there, which is a habit must be established before it can be improved, right? And he was mastering mm-hmm. the art of showing up. He was making it the standard in his life before he tried to scale it up and make it something bigger, more impressive. And for whatever reason, so often when we try to build a new habit, we're focused on finding the perfect business idea, the best workout program, the ideal diet plan. We're so focused on optimizing that we don't give ourselves permission to show up even if it's just in a small way. And so I think uh, what I like to recommend is what I call the two-minute rule that helps you start a habit and helps get over that tendency to bite off more than you can chew. And what the two-minute rule says is take whatever habit you're trying to build, so read 30 books a year, And then you scale it down to something that takes two minutes or less to do. So read 30 books a year becomes read one page or do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. And um, you added an additional layer on top of that, which I would also recommend, which is do it in a way that is enjoyable to you. And when you no longer enjoy it, move on, like stop before it gets difficult, uh, especially in the beginning. And then once you've built the habit of showing up, well, now we have some raw material to work with. We have something to optimize. Okay, you talk about habit stacking. Can you explain what habit stacking is? So this is another great way to get a habit started. So you've got that small behavior. You use that two-minute rule, scale it down. you got something really tiny to work with. And then habit stacking, this is an idea that originally came from BJ Fogg. He's a a professor at Stanford. And he refers to it as anchoring because what you're going to do is you're going to anchor the new habit you want to build on top of an old habit that you already have. So you'll, in my terminology, you'll stack those habits. So for example, let's say that every morning you make a cup of coffee and the new habit you'd like to build is, well, I feel like it'd be good for me to meditate more consistently. Right. So you say after my current habit, after I make a cup of coffee, I will perform the new habit. So after I make a cup of coffee, I will meditate for 30 seconds. And a habit stack, the value of it, and I mentioned all this research in the book, It's sort of like what researchers call an implementation intention, which is you have to state your intention to implement the behavior at a particular time and place. And so the value of habit stacking is it makes it very clear when and where a new habit's going to live in your life. You know, so often we have these vague notions of uh, change. We're like, oh, this time it'll be different. I'll eat better. I'll try harder. And those are all worthy ambitions, but they're, they're not specific enough. And so a lot of people feel like what they lack is motivation when what they really lack is clarity. And so habit stacking forces you to get very clear about where that habit is and where it occurs by tying it to a behavior you already have. That ties so well into everything we talk about at StoryBrand, that people will not move into a fog. There's something that, that feels threatening psychologically about not knowing exactly what we're doing or why we're doing or where we are. And, you know, it's it's the same thing, uh, the same idea of, 
a lot of times if you're really frustrated, you don't want to do the day, the day seems overwhelming, you got too much going on, literally pulling out a post-it note and writing down the three important things you've got to get done today creates mental clarity for the rest of the day. There's something about, and you even talk about this, uh, you know, showing up at a specific place to work on a specific behavior at a specific time. Really what we're doing is we're just creating clarity at that point, aren't we? Right. I mean, the, it's easier for ultimately what you want is to not to rely on discipline or willpower, but to allow the habit to take over so that you don't need that. Right. But in order for that to happen, habits are tied to a, a context. And so that usually means a time and a place and a location. So I will go to the gym uh, at 5 p.m. on Monday at this location. And by knowing that very clearly, it makes it much easier to take action. It's almost like the moment of action is less likely to pass you by because when it's 5 p.m. on Monday, you know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing right. versus someone who wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I hope I feel motivated to write today or I hope I feel motivated to, to go to the gym today. And if you if it just kind of lives in that vague fog that kind of hanging out there in the ether, then there's always something else that comes up and takes that place. You know, you hit on something there that you talk about in the book, and I found it kind of interesting. You actually argue that environment matters more than motivation. I agree with you. I, th I think motivation depends too much on emotion, which can go up and down like the weather. And certainly emotion is very, very helpful, but you, you can't count on it. it it's going to go up and down. How do you incorporate environment into, and I know you just touched on a little bit, but help me a little bit more understand how I can create the kind of environment that makes me eat more healthy and, and get more exercise. Yeah, I think you hit on it right there where you said that uh, motivation rises and falls, right? right. It, it goes in and out. And a habit, this makes sense as soon as we explain it. A habit, by definition, is a behavior that you do reliably, repeatably. It's stable. It's repeatable. And if motivation is fickle, well, then you do not want something that you hope will be reliable and stable to rely on something that is fickle and fluctuates. And so the more that we rely on motivation to build habits, the less likely it is that you're going to be consistent with it. So instead, what's a better option? Well, if we redesign the environment, then you often find that habits will arise naturally because, as I just mentioned a moment ago, Habits are tied to context, and they often happen in a reliable way in certain situations. So this is certainly there are differences among people, but like from a very broad view, this makes sense. If you put most people in a war zone, they feel stressed and anxious and scared. If right. you put most people on a beach, they feel calm and more relaxed. And so we all respond to the environment around us. And so the items on your desk at work, the things on your kitchen counter at home, the arrangement of the icons on your home screen of your phone, all of those are environments, digital or physical, that influence the cues that you see. And so if you see things more often, you're more likely to act on them. And then the second piece of it is, if an action is the path of least resistance in that environment, then it's much more likely to be uh, taken. So for example, if you live in a neighborhood where it's hard to drive to work without passing 17 fast food restaurants, well, it's much more likely that you're going to eat those every now and then because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah. Similarly, uh, that people have found that you're more likely to build an exercise habit if you select a gym that is literally on the route of your uh, commute to work than if you select one that's even, say, two or three blocks out of the way. Because if that's the case, then now all of a sudden you're going out of your way to go to the gym. It's not something that's on your normal path, et cetera. Right. So the two key principles here are that you want to make the cues of your good habits obvious, available, visible. So 
When I wanted to floss more consistently, I took the floss out of a drawer in the bathroom where I wouldn't see it, and I put it in a little bowl right in the center of the counter next to my toothbrush. Now I pick the floss up as soon as I put the toothbrush down. That's all that I needed to do. On the inverse, you want to make the cues of your bad habits less visible. Hmm. So if you feel like you watch too much TV, well, walk into any living room in America. Where do all the couches and chairs face? Right? It's like, what is this room designed to get you to do? Right. So you could take the TV, put it in a wall unit or a cabinet so it's behind doors. You could also, and then this is the second step, increase the friction of your bad habits. So take the batteries out of the remote control. So you got to go up and turn it on manually. Unplug the TV after each use and then only plug it back in if you can say the name of the show that you want to watch. So you're not allowed to just like turn it on mindlessly and find something. And then for good habits, it's, again, the flip side of that. You want to decrease the number of steps, make it more convenient, make it simple, as easy as possible. So having things out on the counter or available to you. Another example, when I wanted to build a reading habit, I moved Pocket, which allows you to save articles for later, and Audible for audiobooks. I moved those two apps to the front screen of my phone so that it was the first thing I saw when I opened it up. And so little tweaks like that, you know, no. One of those things is not going to radically transform your behavior. But if you do a dozen or 25 or 50, now all of a sudden you're living and working in an environment where the cues of your good habits are obvious and easy to act on. And the cues of your bad habits are invisible and difficult to act on. And sticking to a good habit is much easier when it's the path of least resistance. Talk to me about how habits change your identity. You you, you actually argue vice versa, that identity changes your habits also. And uh, I remember... It was right around Christmas season two years ago because I remember it was really cold. Going out to the gym, jumping in the pool, you know, everything was kind of sore. I was out of shape and just had this identity of this guy who wasn't terribly athletic. Probably only lost like 15 pounds in the last two years and have another 15 pounds to go. James, I've lost almost 200 pounds in the last 10 years. So That's incredible. So Congratulations. Really, yeah, it's been a really long journey. I'm telling you, the last 20 pounds is as hard as the first 180. <laughs> it's just unbelievable <laughs> how it clings on. But, you know, my identity has changed so much from the guy who and, – and I've always exercised. You don't lose that much weight without exercising. But swimming was a whole different thing, right? Mm. It was so nice going to the doctor the other day saying, how often do you exercise – and me going a lot, like five times a week, you know, and uh, my identity has completely changed. But but that didn't happen automatically. It happened because of the habits. In other words, the behavior had to go way out in front of the identity, and the identity lagged behind it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of when I wrote my first book, and I would do these book signings, and people would say, "Hey, I'd love to talk to you about being a writer because I'd like to be a writer myself." It was at least a year of having a book out. Before I felt like you were a like, writer. yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to be a writer too. They're like, but they're holding my book and I'm signing it, right? So you, you know, the identity does lag behind. What have you discovered in the relationship between our habits and our identity? Because I, the reason I think it matters is once our identity is transformed and changed, my goodness, we're off to the races at that point. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I I think this is probably the real reason, the true reason that habits matter. We often talk about habits as being important because. They can help you get external results. So they can help you lose weight or make more money or reduce stress. And yeah, it's totally true. They can help you do all those things. But I think the real deeper reason that habits matter so much is that they can reshape your sense of self. They can reshape your self-image. How do you believe something new about yourself? And so I'll kind of walk you through like the way I think about this. You can tell me if this maps with your experience or not or which pieces of it fit for you. 
So I agree. I think true behavior change is really identity change. Like it's, it's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. And it's something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. And as soon as you start saying, that's who I am, then you're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. Right. But as you mentioned, the challenging piece here is you, a lot of times people say like fake it till you make it or something like that. Yeah. And I don't necessarily have anything wrong with fake it till you make it. It's asking you to believe something positive about yourself. But the problem is it's asking you to believe something positive without having evidence for it. And we have a word for beliefs that don't have evidence. We call it delusion. You know, at some point you keep telling yourself this thing and your behavior isn't matching up. And so my argument is rather than worrying about the belief, rather than focusing on the identity to start, even if that's ultimately where we want to go, let's focus on the behavior that reinforces that identity. Um, and so you can sort of think about your habits as the method through which you embody a particular identity. Every time you make your bed, you embody the identity of someone who's clean and organized. Hmm. If you study biology every Tuesday night for 20 minutes, you embody the identity of someone who is studious. If you, in your case, go to the gym or go to the pool four or five days a week, you embody the identity of someone who doesn't miss workouts. And every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And so the first time that you cast that vote or show up and jump in the pool, no, you don't really think of yourself in a radically new way. But each time you go, you add another vote to the pile. And it's like you build up this body of evidence to root that new identity in. Right. And unlike fake it till you make it, which is asking you just to believe something different, this is actually giving you something you cannot deny. You know, eat, no, doing one push up does not transform your body overnight. But man, each time you do it, you cannot deny that in that moment, you didn't miss a workout, that you did cast a vote for being a healthier person. Yeah. And no, writing one sentence does not finish the book, but it does cast a vote for I'm a writer. And ultimately, the goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to yeah. do a silent meditation retreat. The goal is to become a meditator. And once you start to assign those identities to yourself, it's much easier for the behavior to stick in the long run. I'll be back with the rest of my conversation with James Clear in just a moment. But before that, here's a habit. Wake up every morning and watch a five-minute video that advances your career. The first thing you could do in the morning while you're sipping that cup of coffee is to learn how to ask for a raise, to learn how to let somebody go, to learn how to encourage a team, to learn how to stay motivated, to learn how to bring up conflict in the workplace. All these things will advance your career. Can you imagine every weekday morning getting some little business tip we have that tool for you it's at businessmadesimple.com just go to businessmadesimple.com click on the free video just free video give us your email address we'll send it to you every morning there are right now about 65,000 people getting this video be one of them they are absolutely loving it. it's one of the most fun things that i do I would love to send you that video. It really will advance your career in a very easy way. It's not a challenge. It's a five-minute video while you're sipping your morning cup of coffee. Go to businessmadesimple.com and sign up right now. Now, that's a habit that's going to change your life. Let's actually break this down to a practical level, and I'm going to be sort of selfish here. I, I've joked on the uh, 
podcast before that the shtick of this podcast is I get free counseling that you would otherwise <laughs> have to pay $10,000 an hour for <laughs> with guys like you. Uh, no, not that you could charge 10000 an hour, but uh, you're certainly worth it. <laughs> My health habits have changed considerably, and yet – Still, you know, every night almost I want some ice cream before bed. You know, it's a lot less ice cream than I used to want. You know, the nutrition habits uh, aren't, aren't, still aren't there. So walk me through embracing and engaging and becoming and having the identity of somebody who really eats healthy. I mean, and I, and I, I pick that not just because I want to be selfish, although I do. I picked that because probably everybody listening to this podcast would go, okay, that's the one we all have in common, right? Sure. I, I've just spent yesterday traveling, and I travel like you do, and I'm walking through the airport in Denver, and there is pretty much, with the exception of bottles of water, there is nothing in that airport to eat. I'm wondering, you know, what can I do personally, and and can we do as a culture to say, we have got to change these habits because- they're costing us way too much. I mean, what's the first step in doing that? It's a great question. Obviously, big question, right? There's a lot packed in there. Yeah. Um, I think with the answer to start, we kind of need to divide it a little bit. So we need to divide it into maybe two buckets. You've got like, first, there's this big question about what can we do to change society and like reshape the incentives and make that more productive? And that I think is separate from the question of what can I do as an individual to focus on building a healthy eating habit or something like that. So on the individual side, I think first there's like this meta question that or uh, philosophy that maybe is good to keep in mind, which is you mentioned that you like ice cream. I like ice cream too. Life is kind of good with ice cream. Yeah, like really. uh, I would rather I would rather have a life with it than uh, than not. But essentially what we're looking to do, the trajectory that we're looking to get on, I think maybe we could even say the quest of any kind of self-improvement is not to have a life without problems. It's to have a life where you upgrade your problems. You know, you're always going to be solving some kind of problem or facing some challenge. And so can we be directionally accurate and moving in the right direction? I say, I say this on, um, in atomic habits that like, you should be much more concerned with your current trajectory than your current position. Mm. Um, and so I think that allows the reason I mentioned that to start is I think particularly with eating, there can be a lot of guilt, shame, questioning your self-worth, getting down on yourself. And so if you're worried less about your current position and more about your trajectory, I think that's probably a healthy starting point. I don't want to lose our, our momentum here. I want you to keep going on this. But can we just take one little second and talk about guilt and shame and its effect on habits? Have you ever looked into that? Yeah. So I'm definitely not the the expert on this. Obviously, people like Brene Brown or someone like that has you know, researched and talked about those topics much more. But the, what I have thought about is that, so I kind of have a four-step model in the book and we won't have time to go into it here, but roughly speaking, there's like some time of cue that starts the behavior. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. And then the second step is you make a prediction about what that means. And uh, that prediction, that's really like, we could also call that an internal story. And so guilt and shame and all kinds of negative self-talk, it comes into that framework in that second stage. And the main reason that I included it in the, the framework I wanted to talk about in the book is that your current emotions, your current feelings, uh, they dramatically impact your behavior. And so I do discuss that in more detail. But essentially, the quest of changing your habits, if we wanted to, to think about it in this way, is kind of the quest of changing your internal story, of learning a new narrative to tell yourself about what the experiences and cues in your life mean uh, and so then you can take a different response, which is the the third stage, the third step of that that framework. 
So they play a very significant role in how our habits are shaped. Okay, getting back on track, how do we change this habit of trying to eat better? I mean, part of it is just honor the fact that you're moving in the right direction rather than trying to become some health nut. I think that's just a healthy place to start is let's focus on trajectory rather than position. But given that we've done that or given that you're willing to accept that, then we get to some more practical suggestions. So we've already talked a little bit about environment design. That matters a lot, you know, like simple things. For example, and I want to be clear, I'm not recommending this as like a method to curb like a true addiction. But like in my case, if I buy a six pack of beer and I put it in the front of the fridge, like in the door or somewhere I can see it right away, mm-hmm. I'll like pull one out and have it for dinner just because it's there. Right. But if I put it at the bottom of the fridge, like tucked back underneath the shelf where I can't really see it, man, sometimes it'll sit there for like a month. And so I'm like, well, did I want it or not? You know, and so many of our behaviors are like that. So you can start by making those the path of more resistance, you know, like putting the unhealthy options, put them in the top or the bottom of the pantry, put them in containers that are completely covered that you don't see. Ideally, don't have them in the house. All these strategies, the more that you can automate some of these choices, the better. And that obviously usually comes with money. So for example, if you can sign up for Instacart or Amazon Fresh or whatever the different delivery services are in your area and make sure that healthy groceries are coming into the house rather than unhealthy things. It's going to help. That's Yeah, it's going to help. And you need money to do that. But if you have the funds to do it, automating those choices is the most bulletproof way to make sure that you don't fall into some kind of impulse purchase when you're at the store. So that's a crucial part. But I want to shift here and talk because we've talked a lot about how to get habits to start. And so instead, I think what's really fruitful maybe for this conversation and really for any habit is to talk about how to get it to stick. And I think if you want a healthy eating habit to stick, if you want an exercise habit to stick, a writing habit, really whatever you're working on, one of the most powerful long-term drivers of our behavior is the social environment. So we've talked about physical environment. But the people that you surround yourself with, I think more generally, maybe perhaps even more importantly, what we could define it as the tribes that you belong to. And so sometimes that's physical people, physical space you're in. But oftentimes and increasingly, it's also the online tribes that you're a part of. And we all are a member of multiple tribes. You kind of have membership in different places at the same time. You know, you may be a member of the tribe of what it means to be American. And you're also a member of the tribe of your neighbors on your street or the volunteers at the local middle school or your local CrossFit gym or whatever. And each of those tribes has a set of shared norms, a set of shared expectations for how to act. And so, you know, if you move into a new neighborhood and you walk outside on Tuesday night, you see your uh, neighbor mowing their lawn, you're reminded, oh, I need to keep up with the habit of mowing my lawn. And part of that is, yeah, you want to mow your lawn because it feels good to have a clean yard, but mostly it feels good to have a clean yard because you don't want to be judged by the other people in the neighborhood. (laughs) Right. And so many of our habits are like that. They're socially reinforced. And so the, the punchline here, the key takeaway that I'm getting to is you want to join a tribe where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Hmm. Because if it's normal in that group, then it's going to be very attractive for you to stick with it because doing so will be a signal to the other people that, hey, I belong. I'm, I'm the member too. Whereas if you try to go against the grain of the social norms of your group, against the grain of the expected habits, then that's actually very unattractive because it forces you to be ostracized and cast out. It forces you to be different. And if people have to choose between having the habits that they want and uh, being on their own or having habits that they kind of don't want, but they get to belong, 
most people would rather belong to be lonely. The, yeah. the desire yeah. to belong often overpowers the desire to improve. And so it's really crucial to find spaces and people where you can connect with them and you have the same habits that they are already, you want to have the habits they're already building. You can like rise together. In the case of eating, it's really valuable if you start to, to pick up friends who have the eating habits that you want. You actually, you see this happen all the time, actually. Someone joins a CrossFit gym, they just went to go get fit, but like a bunch of CrossFitters eat paleo and then all of a sudden they're on like a paleo diet, buying a certain type of knee sleeve and getting a certain type of weightlifting shoe. And it's like, I didn't even want any of these things, but I just soaked up those habits because now I'm in this environment. Yeah. And uh, so that social reinforcement, I think, is a really crucial factor. You, you must have done a lot of thinking in all this research about how we really are primates. I mean, we're, we, we are animals. Mm. And what's unique, and, and, and it's been abundant in this conversation, is I can train my dog. I can train my cat. I can train you know other animals. I can train chimpanzees. We, we've got to be the only animal on the planet that can train ourselves. It's almost like we're two people. Uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating Yeah, thing. we are a primate with an executive functioning brain that can train the other parts of our brain. Mm. You know, there's a bunch of great books on habits. Charles Duhigg wrote a good book on it. But unlike those books, your book is a practical training manual to train the primate part of yourself. And by the way, th I don't mean to reduce what a human being actually is. I, I hope that people hear me saying, wow, we really are a superior creature and perhaps even spiritual in our makeup in, in the sense that we're the only people who can actually do this. I'll meet people sometimes and I'll think, wow, you haven't discovered that you can train yourself yet. <laughs> you haven't <laughs> discovered the second part of your brain, which is the executive functioning part that trains the other part. You are literally just living as the primate. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me. But I'm grateful. I wanted, I wanted to share just one last tip from your book that I think would be super, super helpful. Sure. And it's this idea of amateurs sort of versus professionals, right? And not letting life get in the way. Uh, it's one of the last ideas that you actually talk about in the book. Can you, can you share what it is that I'm, that I'm talking about there and how to keep these and maintain these habits and how to stay motivated in life and work? Well, so I had this conversation with Todd Henry, who also is an author. Very early on, like literally the first year that I started writing, I, nobody knew my name. I didn't have a blog. I was j just like thinking about it. And I was telling him, you know, I feel like I write my best stuff when I get this burst of inspiration, when I get this like spark, this kind of eureka moment. And, uh, you know, so I feel like I do my best writing when I'm motivated. And he was like, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Uh, and then he shared this Faulkner quote with me where he's like, I only write when I feel motivated too. It just happens to be every day at 8 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, ah, all right, that's the difference between a professional and an amateur, right? right. Like amateurs yeah. do things when they're easy, when they're motivated, when they feel like doing them, and professionals do things on a schedule. And I think this is also, it has a lot of echoes with Stephen Pressfield's work and War of Art, right. and this idea yeah. of like, you know, showing up consistently. I think Pressfield has this concept uh, where he mentions that, you know, you what you want is for animals like a wolf, a wolf has a territory, right? It's like, this is my home space this is my home court. And, uh, you want your writing to feel like that, that you, you come and you sit down and it's like, this is where I do my writing. This is my home court. This is my space. Or when you go to a gym, you want to feel like, yeah, this is my territory, but you're never going to feel like that at first. It mm -hmm. never, it never comes immediately. You, at first you feel like an imposter. You feel like I don't belong here. You know, like I'm being judged. Am I doing this right? Whatever. And so you have to keep showing up long enough to develop that feeling of this is my home court. And I think that also ties into this idea of being a professional rather than being an amateur to, 
to be willing to show up reliably enough until I feel comfortable with it. Um, cause it's not going to come at the start. So those ideas, that, that idea of like approaching your work or approaching your habits, like a pro rather than an amateur, I think is a, a powerful concept to keep in mind. All right. Well, there's, I, I don't know. There's, there's been two dozen nuggets that will are life changing in this one conversation and we've not even scratched the surface. This book is a practical manual on how to train yourself, get in touch with your executive brain and, uh, and have life improved, health improved, relationships improved, career improved because of it. The book is called Atomic Habits. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. You can also learn more about James at jamesclear.com. He's got a newsletter that's very motivating. And so uh, go to jamesclear.com and sign up for that. James, I know we're spending some time together next year, and I can't wait. I think a lot is going to come from that. Uh, but I'm really grateful. Uh, probably one of the better interviews we've done the entire 2019 year. And so thanks for coming on. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to hanging out soon. This sort of changes everything, doesn't it, JJ? 100%. We office, you and I office with Kula and Steven in yep. a place called the attic or the, the, or the tree, tree house. house yeah, yeah. We call it the tree house. <laughs> and uh, it's the attic of the office uh-huh. and the four of us, we, there's no cubicle walls. We all just, <laughs> we all just office together, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. It, it makes me think, you know, and this is so hard because of travel schedule and all that, that, you know, 9 a.m. Monday morning, we all just do push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're That okay. too. Yeah. Is that what? But, but 15 minutes of, of riding. Yeah. And then you can keep going. But then some, we got to figure out some sort of reward. Like yeah. if you do fifteen minutes of riding, <laughs> fifteen minutes of riding, then yeah, you get you get a candy bar, which de- which creates the bad habit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. got to be something a little different, maybe. But I love that. I mean, I think that that's so important. You know, one of the things we've talked about earlier this year is kind of like goals and stuff for this year, and. One of the things that, you know, we've talked about a couple of times that I wanted to win a blue ribbon at the state fair. Right. But another thing is you and I have talked about a movie that I've wanted to write for years, years yeah. and years. And one of the goals on my overall list, like kind of outside of work stuff, is to get this screenplay done. And the only way I'm going to do it is if I get up every morning and put in and even start with scene. two minutes or scene, five yeah. minutes to just put some notes down of what are some thoughts what are some characters what are what are some developments what's the next step in the plot and if i do that i know there's zero doubt i will get that movie done in a year and how great is it you know if there's a takeaway from this there's a lot of takeaways from the conversation with james uh, you, know, you know a big one and steven and i were just talking is grace yeah so stop being so hard on yourself yes. stop making it so hard Yep. You know, if you just yell at a dog all the time, <laughs> you're not going to train yeah. that dog to do anything. Yeah. And we really, not to reduce this again, you know, I talk about it in the interview, but we are animals that are capable of training themselves. Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of joy, a lot of grace, yes. a lot of, you know, and making it easy. The path of least resistance will always be the path that human beings take. Yeah. And understanding that, I think, is that really great. But I wonder about, you know, when I think about the categories of my life, there's health and fitness, which we've covered in depth in the interview, but there's also uh, my marriage. Yeah. So how would I create a habit of loving Betsy? You know, mm. like, what, what? how can you habitualize yeah. that kind of behavior? And Betsy has all sorts of ideas. Go to the mall and get me something. <laughs> 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 yeah, she's so high demand, that Betsy. But I'm thinking, like, words of encouragement, you know, yeah. things that come for free. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, you know, you know that would be one writing would be one um habitualizing you know uh, affirming behavior here at the office you know yeah. just you know and starting to say okay how do we turn these things into habits because if, as soon as you turn them into habits the machine yeah. creates an amazing life yes so the idea is not to 
lose weight or write the screenplay. It's to create the habit of writing that turns into a machine that creates screenplays. Yes. That is a complete beautiful paradigm shift. I love it. I love it. I really want James to do a course for business mates. Oh, simply. 100%. We've got to pitch it to him. What do we yeah. do? <laughs> we got to make it worth James. his while. <laughs> we'll send him some Halloween candy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, JJ, you and I are going to be together teaching the December Live Workshop yes, coming up. Yes, we are. If you haven't registered yet, go to storybrand.com. I open it. Well, we do Sunday evening dessert. Yep. There's like a wine cocktail mixer. We uh-huh. eat great desserts Sunday night. That's at the Bell Tower in downtown Nashville, right off of Lower Broadway. Yep. Very, I mean, thousands of people on the street outside. It's yeah. a great, it's festive, so fun. wonderful, fun environment. And then Monday morning, right there in downtown Nashville, yeah. I start out 9 a.m. I explain the story brand framework, and you're familiar with it. You've probably heard it, seen it on video, that sort of thing. I just go through it, but I go through it in a really different way that's really fun and funny. And then we start clarifying your brand message. Yeah. How in the world do you talk about what you do? Mm-hmm. And how can we reduce or simplify what you do to a series of sound bites that if you say them over and over, they almost become like a magical mantras, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because it changes people's behavior and they begin to buy from you. Yeah. And how do we do that? And then Tuesday afternoon, and you teach a big chunk of that part uh-huh. of it. Tuesday afternoon, we get back into it and say, okay, now that we have these sound bites, where do we put them in a marketing sales funnel? Mm-hmm. In other words, how do you create a marketing sales funnel? We are going to cover all of that in the December Marketing Live Workshop in Nashville, Tennessee. If you've not registered, go to storybrand.com. We still have a few seats left, yep. although this one is huge. Yeah. And we, we really want to see you there. You get to leave this workshop knowing exactly what you are going to do in 2020 to have an amazing year. My favorite part in kind of connecting it with this interview is that at the very end, when you walk through stuff at the very end, you really walk through a marketing plan for the year. Yeah. And it really is the tips and the things that you give are a simple like, hey, sit down for five minutes yeah, and we work talk about on this become, email. We talk about becoming a part-time marketer. Yes. Sit down and for five minutes, think about this one-liner. Think about your website. So it's not something to where all of a sudden, yes, you're going to spend two days with us and there's a lot of information. But when you go home, the tips and everything that we give and the plan that we give you to move out is something you can wake up for five minutes, start your morning yeah. every day with five minutes on thinking about your market. You know, I've and asked, you're going to make incremental differences that will change your business. Yeah, I've asked dozens of people at the workshop, after the workshop. I said, look, if you would have focused on this without coming to Nashville, if you would have focused on it, how long would it have taken you to get this done? And I never have gotten an answer shorter than six months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in two days, you get six months of yeah. focused work done. It's pretty incredible. Go to storybrand.com. JJ Kula and I will see you soon, along with a dozen other facilitators who will be around helping you make sure you're getting it right. You can run your answers by them and they say, ah, not quite there. Let's dial that in a little bit more or that's it. You got it. So you leave with an affirmation that you've done the process correctly and right and with a plan to create a marketing plan for the next year, 2020. You're going to go into January feeling terrific. Sign up at storybrand.com and we will see you soon. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep Hushed on Spotify or Apple Music. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building and Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>